0: Chao, What's a shot.
1: Struggling for consistency, Arsenal finally string two consistent results together, losing 3-0 to City twice in the same week. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It's not the kind of consistency we were striving for, but really we'll take whatever we can get right now, and that includes with guests on the pod. That means we don't have Clive. We don't have Tim. We do have Scott. He will be along shortly, but back. We missed him. We love him. We are happy. Is here. Paul, you can find him on Twitter at PawsIntoMyPants. Hello, Pause. Woo-hoo, indeed. Oh, man, let's dive right into it because it is good stuff. Uh, We are terrible. The club is awful. It should disband, and we should burn down the Emirates. Other than that, I don't know that there's much to say, but here's what we're going to do. We're probably not going to get too granular on the game. There's just so much to discuss in terms of the general condition of the club, some of the news stories that have come out uh, following the match, comments about players holding a meeting where they basically started crying and saying, we need more help. Which is pretty much how my daughter was made. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to unpack here, but let's start with the game just a little bit. And Paul, I think the manager made changes.
2: Listen, Elliot. Yeah. Elliot. Before we get into the game, if you want any more background information on how your daughter was made, I'm here for you.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, maybe you can just Snapchat me them. You know uh so <laughs> so uh, the interesting thing we went to a back four we brought Danny Welbeck in from the start maybe to give us a little more hard running on the counter attack or pressing from the front or whatever philosophy we take right now. It didn't seem readily apparent to me. I do know that you felt that this effort was superior to Sunday's. So at a minimum, <laughs> let's, let's do this. What do you think the philosophy was in this match, and why do you feel that it was at least an improvement on the 3-0 from just a few days prior? <laughs>
2: I think we started having this conversation on Twitter, but w- w- we headed off in different directions for mm-hmm. for the sake of everybody's sanity. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's thin gruel that we're we're sifting through here. Um, I thought the first half uh, at Wembley was okay.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree with that.
2: And I thought this was a bit better. I mean, you know, we we're up the end a bit more. We we it was a more open game now. I think in both games we were as good to some degree as City allowed the game to be. They like a nice open game. I think they were fine uh, kind of jousting with us in this game, keep it nice and open. After all, it was a home game for us. They were they're absolutely fucking delighted to play a team that's open and fairly attacking. And I think we were doing our best to do that. I wish we played four at the back. That helps. Uh, we did attacking lineup, whether we liked it or not. Danny's very much, uh, you know, if he's stepping in for a Wobey or whoever, he's one more forward, uh, a, f- a forward who covers back. Sure. But he's one more forward. It's just, you know, you got Mkhitaryan, Ozil, uh, Ramsey, Welbeck and Obama Yang, basically ahead of Chaka. That's a pretty freaking attacking lineup. And, You know, you you can look at the tea leaves either way, but I I thought we were pretty decent and pretty... This might be a bit North Korea, but uh, uh, if you edit out their three goals and, and show somebody the rest of the game, I thought we were actually pretty good and we gave them as kind of as good as we got. I know if you drill into it from a quality standpoint, I mean, when they strung passes together...
1: Well, it's hard. I mean, um, they re- they really took their foot off the gas in the second half. I mean, it was did. it was almost depressing because it looked like Pep had said at halftime, no need to drive the nail in here, fellas. Just pass it around and keep it simple.
2: Yeah, except he's. Pep's a bastard. You know, uh, I've had that thought that, oh, maybe Pep will go easy from time to time, or Pep has great respect for. Or, Pep is an incredibly self-centered guy. Yeah. is is my latest theory. I, and you know, more power to him you can't be as obsessive about what he does. He he would gladly beat his own granny 190 just to prove a point that he's well, better maybe, than granny.
1: Maybe not if he knew that, you know, he had Champions League on the horizon and he still had important games coming up. I mean, there there is an argument yeah. for saying let's not let's not blow ourselves out in the second half here let's just keep it simple and and get to get to the finish line but i guess the question yep. then is what was the strategy right so I think the thing that has been really interesting about this Premier League season is that the two best teams, arguably, City quite clearly the best, and I think you could argue that Liverpool are the second best, have clear identities, that you can yeah. very clearly say what you think their footballing philosophy is. And one thing about Arsene Wenger is that for a long time in his career, I think you could say, maybe more than any other team in the league, unless it was managed by maybe Sam Allardyce or, or Pulis, is that his footballing philosophy was very clear. Now, that's not to say that you can just keep doing the same thing all the time and have it work, but it seems so muddled to me right now, Paul, whether it's a back yeah. three or a back four, four, one, four, one, with El Neni dropping in between the two center backs. He's trying so many things, and it doesn't look like it's coherent at the moment. Do you have any sense of what the footballing philosophy for us was on this day, or was it maybe just neutralized by City preventing us from having one at all?
2: Uh, well, I mean, he, he's, he'd lost a couple of player options, uh, though that's not an excuse at all, but it, it may have shaped his hand just a little bit. Um, and, you know, the, uh, to me, the the option was maybe a little bit of that game we played against Spurs uh, at home earlier in the season, the ping it over the top, although we played that with three at the back, ping it over the top, to get at them, to get into the final third, because, uh, you know, one of the challenges we had against City at Wembley was we played it, no matter how well we did or didn't play in the first half, it was basically all in the the, the final two-thirds, if there's such a thing. Mm-hmm. And at least with the option for Danny and Yang to get in behind, uh, you know, if, if, if City did push us back, we could ping it over the top. And I think there was some... Uh, evidence of that and you know we started reasonably brightly like i say uh, if you take the north korean option and it it has those three goals i think it was actually an okay performance
1: you really should Uh, run state tv at some uh, dictatorship countries some autocratic country you'd be great maybe
2: there's an op you know there's a space in the market for everything that arsenal fan tv is done you know if they're the right wing there's a left wing option here where we we kind of go the other way but yeah yeah. (laughs) so i guess really where i'm going with it is you know um it's who you want to pound on the most at the moment you know arson he's made his own bed he has to lie on lie in it you know, you see a lot of stuff about the players. Oh, they're the gutless, heartless, spineless. They're not trying. They're kind of walking around. They're padding their stats. To you know, it's it, it, it's all there's almost a Buddhist opportunity here for looking here at you know as we go through this existential crisis what is a club who are you connected to uh, you know i love arson but i can't defend him at the moment well, everything it's not here. arson
1: fc it's arsenal and i mean let's yeah. say arson went out on the absolute highest note possible winning the league winning the champions league winning the fa cup great trouble i mean the club has to go on when he goes out, whether he goes out on a high or a low. You yeah. just you can't be there just for him. And and that actually, you know, you mentioned it, what is the club and what do you love? But, Paul, here's a question for you. The fans did not show up for this game. Now, between snow and cold and a weeknight, there's a great defense for that. There's a great excuse for that. But I kind of wonder if we were second and City were first and we were separated by three points, what the stadium would have looked like. Do you think that it is wrong to write off the attendance entirely to weather and time of day?
2: Well, it probably wouldn't take too much for people to say, you know what, I'm skipping tonight. And I think a lot of people are in this gray zone in between. of They don't know uh, how to register their frustration, their anger, etc.,
1: your dog is 100% arson out. By the way, he's just. He, he, he wants yeah, to be he's, actually,
2: he's actually a city supporter. As of about a week ago, yeah. he's young. You know, he's it's a bandwagon
1: puppy. Yeah.
2: yeah, you you watch a team on TV and they win, and suddenly your own dog is wearing a city shirt. So,
1: well, you know what? Um, you, he's a dog. You can put whatever shirt on him you want. <laughs> you, literally, you literally own him. Um, yeah. Okay, so, so keep I, going.
2: I do think it's hard to read read the crowd, but it, it's it's hard not to think that it's a combination of bad weather weather and a, 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 an excuse and opportunity to register your frustration disappointment there's a lot of respect still for Arson and what he's done and a lot of gratitude uh, people aren't going to march people you know there's booing there'll be some heckling It's very painful for Arsenal supporters to register their objections, but it's going to be an ugly few months coming up. And I don't think I think we'll see this wasn't just down to the weather. I mean, it's kind of a a zombie exercise going forward for the manager, for the supporters, and for the team. And uh, I mean, they're well paid, but I I do, uh, as I talk about what is the club. I, I think a lot of people, and I'm certainly. I don't know if this is a flaw, but I fall victim to this. There has to be somebody I'm connected to at the club at any one time. And if if I can't back Arsene, if I can't say he's my man and I believe in him, um, you know, I'm going to look for somebody else. Maybe it's Sven and Raoul who are vague and distant enough that I'll latch onto them. No, I I get
1: that. The club is is, is an amorphous, ambiguous concept. I mean, the club exists, but it's the players or the manager, someone at the club that you can feel a more concrete connection to. I think that's a really good point, because Uh, it is hard to love any of these players. I mean, everyone has (laughs) their favorite, but I don't know that there's a single player at Arsenal that I would feel the way I felt when Cesc left or Thierry Henry left or, you know, whoever it is, and the manager was sort of that guy for a lot of people, and now that turning into open hostility
2: yeah and i think you see among the fans that that's why we don't understand each other because i don't think everybody feels that way um and you know so i'll end up defending our players who are not brilliant and are not wonderful are not 100 percent committed but i don't think it's because they don't care i think at the moment they're lost they don't know what the bloody plan is and there was that Guardian Guardian article, and I think that's we'll been that what will come on for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the one about there's no leaders out there. I mean, I just I think that's such a crock in the sense that what they're saying is all 11 players are guilty for not being leaders. You never have 11 le- leaders in a team. It's like say it's like blaming the players because there aren't 11 goalkeepers on the pitch. Though there would be one goalkeeper, so there should be one leader. But the po- the point being. Somebody like Laurent Koscielny, it's not his fault. It's not uh, Ramsey's fault. It's not Aubameyang's fault or even Ozil's fault that they're not the leader. It's the fault of the manager that he hasn't picked, that he doesn't have a Tony Adams or a Vieira or whoever you want to hold up in there. It's not the other nine players who would show some leadership in support of a leader. So. But
1: leadership isn't just on the pitch. and And this is where I think part of the problem is, Paul, is that when you have strong personalities in a dressing room, the manager can control the players and create the culture within the dressing room. But the players can do that too. And a couple of good leaders in the dressing room a couple of strong leaders who who have a big voice and are respected in the, in the dressing room can make a big difference and that's why I thought it was so telling when Arson the other week said Nacho Monreal is a leader he's a type of person who shows up says nothing gets his work done and goes home You know, I think the problem for Arsene is over the years he has increasingly wanted total control. And not just total control over decision making, but total control over the message that his players receive. The way the message is delivered. The way their psyche is managed. And as a result, he has eliminated those roles and those personalities in the dressing room. The kind of people who you see at other clubs. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson is as big a personality as you might want, but Roy Keane... Was in that dressing room, you know, you know what I yeah. mean. So, th- and, no, and I think that's just not the case like, anymore.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's perfect point. But the criticism is not of the players; it's of arson. Yes, right?
1: yes, okay, yes, the, we because agree there, with yeah.
2: Roy Keane in the team. Ju- let's keep it simple. It wasn't this simple. They, they had other leaders. But if we take the C- Roy Keane model, he was a leader, and the others stepped up. The others provided some leadership too, but. Y- you pull him out of it, you can't then suddenly turn around and criticize the other 10 players for not being leaders. It's like pulling check out and saying, you guys aren't bloody goalkeepers. It, it, of course I have to lead. Of course I have to chip in. Of course I have to pull other players on. But you can't beat up kashelny for not being Roy Keane or not being Vieira. No, of or not course being, not. This,
1: this, is, uh, this is still Arson's team and he built it not just in terms of playing uh, skills and, and qualities, but uh, philosophical qualities, their, yeah. their emotions, their personalities. He has rooted out of the team the big personalities. I mean, say what you want about Alexis, and I don't know that we need to get on this tangent. I remember everybody <laughs> telling me once Alexis is gone, we're going to play this beautiful team oriented football, and everyone will love each other. And because we'll all be singing Kumbaya in the dressing room, it'll display itself on the pitch. And while well, that hasn't really happened, and while I'm not well, it trying did once. to. Once it did against Everton. While I'm not trying to rewrite history and suggest that. The tail end, the very tail end of Alexis's time at the club could have gone better. Yeah, I think, he did
2: give the ball away a lot.
1: Oh, he did. You know what? We <laughs> Turns out now everybody gives the ball away. Now that we don't have one player giving the ball away, they're all chipping in equally. So you're right in that respect, Paul. It yeah, is, a, team, it it is a team-oriented approach. But he was a big, strong personality who didn't like to lose. Now, that can make him a bit of a twat. I agree. but like, And don't get me wrong. He's not pulling up trees at, at United right now. But... I don't think that it hurts to have those kinds of big personalities who don't care about people's feelings, who will get in their teammates' face, who will cause a problem in training. Because right now it's all very nice, but losing isn't nice. And then you get reports of players crying and saying they need help after the game. So yeah. well, let's I keep it. I certainly moving. don't
2: think Alexis was the problem, but he wasn't the big character we needed. It's not that we didn't need him but he still wasn't the Roy Keane of the team or the okay. Vieira or the
1: I don't disagree uh, but th- th- there's footballing yeah. issues here. Let- let's get to a yeah. few football issues and you know one of them is just watching City. So they obviously are the the goal to aspire to. They have the chance to be a historically great Premier League team. But I would still argue they are not as good, for example, as Pep's Barcelona. And Pep's Barcelona yeah. came to the Emirates when we were playing with guys who couldn't even get into this Arsenal team at several positions. And we gave them a hell of a game. In fact, we beat yeah. them on that. Arshavan, yeah. right? I mean, great night. At the Emirates. Yeah. We we don't have to capitulate just because they're good. And I see people saying, yeah. what do you expect? This is a great city team, so it's going to happen. Do you buy the argument that sometimes you're just not good enough or that there's more at work here?
2: Oh, there's so, so, so much at work here beyond that. Uh, You know, I was going down the list of players and you you compare them. And all right, in a couple of positions, they're significantly better than us. But in many, many positions on the field, we did have or should have had uh, players who run them pretty close. And if they were better coached and better organized, could arguably have beaten them. Now, OK, it's a peps team, so you're, you're going to have a job out coaching them.
1: What a minimum. But is it that great a defense? I mean, is it that hard to see how you can no. expose them defensively? They just don't let yeah. you get into that part of the pitch.
2: Yeah, we've an a- aging Koscielny, but they have an aging company. Uh, we've uh, Skodran Mustafi a German international, I know you have your doubts about and, him.
1: And also, professional clown, you may not know. Yeah,
2: yeah. and they've got Mendy, who Mendy, uh, who's had a part-time gig in the past as a professional clown, but mm-hmm. has got his, his shit together, and I suspect Mustafi in the right team and the right setup, and you know, he's had some great games for us, he's also had some he, he, he's got those brain fart moments, but Again, I don't think. No, it's your point is a Look, and- the
1: point is they they weren't playing, you know, Maldini and Cannavaro at the back no. in front of Buffon. We have
2: Bellerin, They have Walker. Mm. We had the best left back from the Bundesliga. They had Danilo. We had Mesudozo, Henrik Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan pierre emmerich obama yang aaron ramsey ran chaka our pick from the bundesliga now okay he wasn't the leading player there but he was one of the bright lights and if he isn't the right fit and didn't have the right talent purely on ours and we have aaron ramsey uh best midfielder in the league a couple of seasons ago um and then we got uh danny Sinogo, which is a weird one he's what the fuck is going on there? He he shouldn't even be. No, his, I, I his, love Danny. His,
1: the problem is when they did the surgery, so I, this hasn't come out yeah. yet, but I have some people that are close to the club. When they did his knee surgery, they actually accidentally put the wrong leg on that knee. And oh, so yeah. it it's totally changes running stuff. We have
2: some yeah. good news and b- some bad news. Mm-hmm. Your bad leg, there was nothing wrong with it. The good <laughs> The, the bad news is we've amputated your good leg.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, and that, it looks like that. But look, and so let's take it out of the context of city for a minute, though, Paul, because you make the point: are we that much further behind them in quality? I think there's some people that are screaming at the podcast right now that yes, I'm sorry, Paul. However you phrase it, those are they have better players. But but let me say this: put it up against Liverpool. Liverpool, are the sec the second team in the Premier League right now, and more than just being second, I realize they're distant second to City. They're a hell of a lot of fun to watch, and they're pretty dynamic. There, I think you can make a very compelling argument that, okay, Mane, Firmino, Sala, great trio. Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, Ozil. Can't be that far off that trio. And Shouldn't everything be? else yeah. from behind them, we certainly look just about as good. I mean, is, is Henderson that much better? Is... Is Emre Chan that much better than Ramsey? I, you know, I just think no. he's not. Oh, and, no, no. and then you look at them goalkeeper. I mean, goalkeeper has been a problem for us, but it's worse for them. I just, yeah. that's I think a- it's
2: all about squad building. And, and the differences from <laughs> us to City, yes, they've got more money. Yes, they'd always have more quality and depth, but it shouldn't be by much. The real gaps between us and City were the signings and the selections and the fit
1: and the preparation um, and the way the way you prepare because ultimately sure, sure. there is a way I don't I'm not saying I know it necessarily but there is a way to set this team up to be more competitive with that city team and I'm not saying to beat them but to be in the game after yep. half an hour or 45 minutes and we weren't so all right so a couple of things let's talk about granite chaka really quickly i i am struggling to see how his arsenal career Gets back on the right track. Now, this is the problem. Look, any analysis of any player and any future and any performance has to take into account the way the manager is using him, the system, the the flaws in this manager right now. But that, that doesn't exonerate the players. And the funk the we've players. been
2: in for sure. and descending sure. into for the last but, month or two.
1: But do you see right now that in the Premier League, it seems to me that you can either go the City route in midfield where you have players like De Bruyne and Silva, whose technical quality and intelligence is just exceptional, or you can go the athleticism route, right? You know, more the way that maybe uh, 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 Manchester United are going or Spurs are going, where you have guys that can just run and be physical and, you know, a Dumbele and Dyer and guys like that. Um, we kind of have neither in Granite Xhaka. Is the problem that you need someone with either superior technical quality than Shaka or someone with athleticism and he's just kind of a zero on athleticism and not high enough from a technical standpoint to be the 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 hub of our hub and spoke midfield. I mean is is that really it is he where a lot of this is breaking down?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we mentioned Emre Chan. I mean, he's a kind of an interest. He's got different skills, but but uh, you know, he's he could be one of those players who struggled in the wrong midfield with the wrong setup. You know, he's not that fast. He's not that mobile. Yeah, he can kind of dribble. Yeah, he can kind of pass. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a pretty good uh, athlete, physical, reasonably mobile. You know, when he's a little older, he, he'll look a lot slower still. So I do think it's a function of what midfield you're in, um, what your system is. Uh, and Chaka and Chan both somewhat different players to each other, different strengths. But either one of them could look good or bad in the system. I don't. Uh, and with Chaka, we're not seeing in him, him in a system that works for him. He probably has to be in a three in midfield because he has, you know, he has some strengths, but he has deficiencies across the board too. And in in the modern game and in the Premier League, you're going to face three or four teams who really know how to press you and that boy i think i mentioned this before there was that american footballer who was taking irish dancing lessons you know the michael flatley stuff yeah yeah. i uh-huh. mean chaka needs to do some proper irish dancing lessons to get his bloody feet moving if he'd only just learned to scramble to move those feet for the first few steps you know 50 percent faster he'd make his whole life so much simpler and it i'd You know, you're probably the only person I might get a positive answer out of on this. But I actually thought there were times in both City games where he started to look reasonably good. I mean, in the first half at Wembley, he struggled. Now, they gave us a bit more space in the second half. I thought it was okay. I thought he was okay for a lot of this game, uh, this last game against City. Not great, not wonderful, but half decent. And he's had a couple of performances recently, which... Uh, I started questioning whether he was a total write-off or not. But when he's really pressed, he's just brutal.
1: Yeah, the, this is the problem, though. I mean, you know, it used to be, if you can think back a few seasons, Paul, it used to be that you'd sit deep and hit it long, and that's how you beat Arsenal. And you could do it pretty yeah. easily. And, you know, managers like Sam Allardyce just used to routinely expose Arsenal with, with these basic blueprints. And now it seems any midfield pressure at all, whether it's coming from Watford or Ostersoons or Liverpool or City, is our kryptonite. And, yeah. it, it and I really, think
2: Tim said it early in the podding season that he was surprised more teams, even the smaller teams, didn't really come at us. And yeah, but they've been, I, they've been learning to. Because yeah. And
1: he said it. They they figure out too late. Like in the Europa League, it happened in Fucking almost every game.
2: Yeah. Word he, got out. He, he,
1: gave, he gave out the secret. The The Europa League, first half of games, they looked scared and passive. And by the yeah. time they realized there was nothing to fear from us and came on to us the second half, it was too late. But so here's, oh,
2: dear, the Europa League.
1: Here's the thing that I think – well, we'll come to that. But here's the thing that I think I, I noticed watching City that is so interesting. When any City player has the ball in build up in the build up phase, there's at least yeah. two players within five or six yards of them. They yeah. always have those two progressive options. And they make those triangles that – I realize any three points make a triangle. But they make those triangles in the football sense that allow you to play out of trouble. And then they have the technical quality – like they showed, was it the third goal, that stunning Sane goal? that, That took tremendous technical quality, but it was possible because of the proximity of the players to one another and the spacing they took up. Is the thing that's so glaringly obviously wrong with Arsenal right now is just the spacing of the players? I cannot tell you how many times I look at an Arsenal player on the ball and from the TV camera standpoint, you can't see the next player. Is it a case of the players just not, Uh, 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 operating in space appropriate, not supporting each other the right way, giving each other the options, because it's not like these players can't pass, but all too often, they don't have that easy, quick, one-touch option to play out of trouble.
2: Yeah, I think it is. And I think it becomes devastating when you do what Spurs do, what City do, uh, and in areas of the pitch, what Liverpool do, when you combine... You know, the right positioning, the right spacing, uh, the coordination with increased athleticism every year and increased fitness. I mean, you just do real damage to teams who maybe don't have the same intensity and don't have the same positioning awareness off the ball, which we don't, and don't punish you enough on the ball. And I I think I saw something from you earlier today about... Uh, in similar situations where city all cluster players uh, around the ball when they get it, Arsenal when we get the ball everybody tears off up the field. Page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know there's a time for that, but nine times out of ten, uh, what the guy needs is options around him, clever options around him, so he could, so you can ping it up the field and let the ball do the work and, well, and then, was...
1: then your distances get off too, right? Because what happens yeah. is Ozil will drop in to try to get the ball off Bellerin, for example, because he sees that he needs the help, but everyone's run away from him. So then Ozil's yeah. pinned against the touchline in our defensive third, and there's no one for him to give it to. And if Ozil's the guy who's got to be playing that killer ball to a Aubameyang or to a Mkhitaryan in behind the defense, how can he do that from 70 yards from their goal with no midfielder near him to link up with?
2: Yeah, and... Um... You know, you just see the frustration on the guy. I, uh, You know, I end up defending the players because they just don't believe they don't want to play. I think they all actually want to play for the manager. They just, they just know they don't know how and that nobody else knows how and that the plan ain't working and that it's not about to work. And it's just, you know... Uh, what, whatever we were earlier in the season, we're a, a shadow of that at this stage, and it just—it's ragged, and, and, and something's got to change.
1: And unfortunately, I mean, you can't divorce the situation in terms of tactics and performance from the players that are in the squad. And I think if you go back and look at the last few transfer windows, we spent a lot of money on Shaka and Mustafi, and whether it's them or whether it's the manager, they haven't worked out for us. And we spent a lot of money on Lacazette, only to turn around and spend a lot of money on Aubameyang, and we haven't really addressed the midfield, and we're trying to use guys between Jack Wilshere, who's still trying to come back into some semblance of form and figure out what kind of player he's going to be and Aaron Ramsey, who can be dominant when he gets a run of games, but is out too often. A lot of sort of 5 out of 10 type players like uh, Mohamed Elneny coming in and playing a role. We've gotten rid of players who probably had to go, like Theo and Giroud and Coughlin, but they were at least established. So to the extent that we have a system or a way of playing or understanding the best you can do at Arsenal, they were incorporated into that system and n- new players take time to settle. And there's been a lot of turnover in that respect. We, Hell, we didn't give Lacazette six months to settle before buying his replacement. Not that I'm suggesting yeah. we shouldn't have done it. So... The squad building is, is really a head scratcher. We now have a lot of fairly old players who are in a win-now position, and the team doesn't look like it's going to win anything now. But l- let's do this. Let me bring Scott in to just do a quick statistical analysis of the game. We'll come back and we'll wrap up on what next for this team, for this manager, and where we go from Scott is kind enough to join us, despite what is really a miserable time to be looking at Arsenal either uh, on the pitch or on the spreadsheet. Uh, Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. And, Scott, as usual, we really appreciate you coming on.
3: All right. Thank you.
1: It's tough, right? You and I were saying this before we started recording, which is that it's a difficult time for granular analysis of Arsenal because it's so manifestly broken that it feels unnecessary to go into The statistical details, the things that are broken are so big that the things that are wrong, that are small, almost feel irrelevant. Having said that, um, our job is to parse it out and get into it a little bit. So the first thing that jumped out at me, and you put this out on Twitter, is that this is one of Mesut worst games that you can remember statistically. and. Watching him in the game, it looked like he performed poorly, but sometimes with Ozil, you lack the ability to see the things he's doing that are working. But in this case, there wasn't much that he was doing that was working statistically either, right?
3: No, this was definitely one of the the worst ones. So in my passing value-added model, um, it almost always loves Mesut Ozil um because it does pick up on those little things that he does so well you know his being able to to find space in dangerous areas and then be able to advance the ball from those areas into even more dangerous spots um so a lot of times you know you know pick up the ball on one of the the flanks um in the the half spaces and be able to to move it forward but today or yesterday That was just not the case. Um, He had So many of those, if you look at his passing map, just did not come off. There's so many of those ones that are in between the middle third and the final third where he's normally so good at um, advancing and linking Arsenal's play that just were not uh, um, completed at all. Um, And that led to um, easily his lowest um, passing value added um, for my model of the season and probably um, one of the worst matches I've seen him play for Arsenal.
1: Great. So, I mean, he wasn't great in the cup final either. And I know the lazy narrative is, oh, he gets the big contract and he stops trying. But I think there was a part of the season early in the season where Mesut Ozil wasn't putting in performances and people were ready for him to go. And then he really turned it up into the winter. And even when we were struggling, he was sort of the bright spot and statistically was uh, dominating as well as just looking like a player who is really engaged and fighting for every ball and every acre of space on the pitch. Acre of space, that's not what I mean, but you get the idea. So it's a little disheartening that we've had these consecutive big games against the best team in the league, and he has been wanting. I think you could argue in the cup final he was as well. One player who stood out for me, though, is maybe deserving some praise in a game where very little praise is due is Aaron Ramsey, and you know I tweeted – after the game that you could make an argument that Aaron Ramsey is the best player at Arsenal from a consistency standpoint, meaning that Ozo might have a higher ceiling, but Ramsey consistently plays better than any of our other players in terms of just taking responsibility and being important to how we perform on the pitch did the Did the data show you anything about Ramsey's performance that maybe was a silver lining
3: um yeah, and you know I just want to you know say that that comment should have a huge asterisk at the end of it and that should be followed by as long as he's not injured.
1: Well, right, of course. I mean, the, the problem with Aaron Ramsey is when he gets 10 games in a row, he thrives, but he very rarely gets that.
3: Exactly. No, and yeah, And Aaron Ramsey was definitely the best Arsenal player, um, according to my metrics um, on the day. Um, he was the, the best offensive player. He led the, um, the team in non-penalty XG, um, or sorry, XG chain. Um, yeah, so I mean... In a day where the team was not looking good, Aaron Ramsey was one of the few players that actually um, did shine. Um, He was one of the better passers. Um, He was doing really well actually carrying the ball. Um, So he doesn't necessarily link with his passing, but his ability to to drive through midfield um, really came through today. Um, And, you know, along with those passes where he he got those good shots off, um, you know, in the box. The one where he had the volley, which was a a real nice looking shot, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean... It's hard to really, you know, say somebody was great when, you know, your team gets beat 3-0 and, you know, it's over by the, you know, 38th minute.
1: Yeah, it, well, I mean, it, so then actually that that brings my next question, I guess, which is in terms of the game overall and on XG, does the XG of the game kind of support the observation that City had their foot on the gas for about a half and then off the gas for the second half?
3: Yeah, so uh, Manchester City um, ended up with about 1.5 through the the 40th minute um, Sergio Aguero chance. Um, And then after that, they didn't really get another shot until about the 77th minute. They added a couple more at the end. Um, So in between there, you know, they added the 0.15 or or, sorry, 0.015. Um, in the XG, so the, you know they ended up with a, a total of 1.61 for the the match, and almost all of that came in those first um, 40 minutes in the main.
1: Yeah, so I, it's really how it looked, which is that they they put us to the sword early, and then and then kind of relaxed. And obviously, we might have been able to change that had uh, Aubameyang scored his penalty. He didn't, and it was really the only thing he did in the game in terms of the way he performed. It's easy to look at him and say, oh, he wasn't. He wasn't involved, he, he's struggling, but this is kind of the Aubameyang game, right? I mean, Aubameyang is not a high-involvement player. Are you seeing anything statistically that's different from the player he was in the Bundesliga? The one thing I know is, in terms of XG per 90, he was always very high in that area, despite low involvement in terms of touches and passes and things like that. How's he holding up?
3: I mean, the one thing is, is that he only had one other shot besides the, the penalty Um, So normally he is, uh, you know, a little bit more of a a higher volume shooter than, you know, what he's shown at Arsenal, you know, more of the three and a half to to four shots a game. Um, So that, you know, has been a little bit of a a disappointment that he hasn't gotten very many shots. But then, you know, Arsenal against Tottenham and Manchester City um, just haven't been, you know, looking good at all for getting shots in general. So it's really hard to to judge him there on those. Um, You know, I think when I was um, talking with you when we were just – after we signed him, I said he was basically Theo, but um, better in all the other um, facets of the game, or at least, you know, Theo maximized. And Theo, I think if that's you still... turned
1: his final third skills up to a 10, yeah, basically.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's still going to be the case. He's not going to get involved in the build up. He's not going to do a lot of other, you know, things that you'd expect, you know, a player to do, but he is gonna be in the box and he's gonna hopefully get on the end of things and score. It makes um, you wonder bad that yeah, sorry, go it's ahead. just too bad that he's gonna be, you know, you know, the rest of his season here is going to be basically playing meaningless games because he's not gonna be able to be involved in the, the Europa League.
1: Well, he won't have to worry about that in about a fortnight. But yeah, it's it's about ten preseason friendlies for Obama and get ready for next season, which is difficult to, to stomach considering what a great player he is and how much we spent on him. And you you kinda of wonder, given the point you just made, if if it isn't time to find out if Lacazette well it's not time now because Lacazette's injured but if Lacazette and Aubameyang can play together because I think Lacazette's involvement and hold up play was better than maybe I expected it to be and it's pretty clear that Aubameyang needs someone closer to him to get him involved uh in terms of the way City played I mean it it is really a blueprint for how you'd like to play and I realize they have tremendous quality but who were their stars
3: oh so Leroy Sané Sané um absolutely stood out for me. And I, I you know, I love all of their um, wide attacking players that they have, you know, so Sterling, Sane, um, you know, even to a certain extent, Bernardo Silva, um, which is just you know an embarrassment of riches for their their wide forwards. Um they are all just so pacey and they dribble so well. Um so yeah, Leroy Sane completed six of his nine dribbles and wow. almost all of those um, turned into something good. You could you know see in this the first goal that they did. Um, Sane came through and dribbled through half of Arsenal's team. I think he had um, two dribbles on that one, plus he used his pace to be able to get past the defender before setting up Silva. Um, and the other one he was um, did the, the pre assist on the second goal. So he has this thing where he beat Mustafi, um, you know, kind of faked inside, went down the line, did a nice cross um, to Silva where then he played, uh, um, so this is David Silva. Where he was able to play a one-two to get in and score, and then he was on the the end of the the amazing team goal for the third, um, and that one was just absolutely, um, you know, he faked his outside post run and then was able to cut in and beat um, Bellerin, who is not not slow by any, you know, um, you know, not slow at all, mm-hmm. and was able to beat him to the ball in the middle and you know poke that through. So it's yeah, I mean, Sane.
1: I mean, is is that really where where you see when you watch Sane play? I mean, I know this isn't a statistical question, but that the movement is just so much better. We'll we'll get counterattacks, and every run will be a straight run into the same kind of area or into angles that the player can't receive the ball where they're not available to be passed to, and the City players find that space. That Sané run, he kind of showed where he wanted the ball. He faked out Bellerin with a feint. He came to the ball to create that central penalty area space. Is, is that really the difference, the off-the-ball movement?
3: yeah and you know there are you know players on arsenal that you know can do that so this is i mean sane is kind of what i think a lot of people imagined um oxlade chamberlain could have been um and that he's a good dribbler fast but sane is just seems to be so much better technically and in his final decision making um that it's just not even fair to really compare the two
1: yeah, well, that's that's fine since we don't have the problem of having Oxlade-Chamberlain anymore either. Um, so in in sort of finishing up the analysis of the game and as, as you look at it overall, is there anything that you're seeing changing about Arsenal over these past few games, playing Spurs, playing City, in terms of the shots we're getting or the dribbles we're taking or the pass completion percentage? If you had to put your finger on the areas where we're really struggling right now and have struggled over these past few games, is there anything that jumps out at you specifically?
3: Um, You know, that's probably something that needs to take a a deeper dive. But the big thing is, I don't think Arsenal are getting great chances. So I'd have to look at kind of why that isn't. Are they not getting the ball into more advanced areas? Um, Because I I think I would kind of imagine that they're not getting it into those wide box areas where they can do the the cutbacks against a a struggling defense. It seems to be all of their possession um, that Arsenal does get is in the the U-shape around the box. And you know everybody knows that once they get there, they can be pretty stymied by just you know sitting deep. Um, so that seems to be yeah. The one time that you know they had a um, Mkhitaryan got into that wide area, um, he was cut down for the the penalty. So to me, it seems like they're not getting into those dangerous spots at all to even um, create good chances. So it's they're just being held in the, the edge of the box too much.
1: Yeah, well that that's certainly not a good thing. I, look, it's it's pretty interesting that. This is how we are as Arsenal fans. We've just conceded three goals in back-to-back games, but we identify the problem as being our chance creation failures. So it tells you about how we've been wired. I don't think we expect to defend any better, but we certainly expect to attack better. And uh, with Brighton on the horizon away, they've been pretty stout defensively, haven't they, at home? So maybe not the easy return to attacking form we'd like to believe.
3: Yeah, hopefully, you know, Arsenal can do something. But, yeah, a trip away is never good.
1: Just on a personal note, I mean, how low are you feeling about things right now?
3: Um, I'm pretty resigned that the season's over. Um, you know, I'm hopeful I guess I'm somewhat hopeful for the Europa League. I don't think AC Milan is all that great. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, they like at least can advance to a quarterfinal in the Europa League. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, I guess that sums it up. The only problem is they're on a great run of form, uh, unlike their opponents. So we'll see what happens. In any event, Scott, I know it's not a great occasion to be going over all this stuff, and it's starting to feel a little bit redundant and unnecessary at this point, but we appreciate you doing it. Scott has great stuff on uh, theshortfuse.com, crabstats.blogspot.com, and of course you can find all his work uh, posted on Twitter at uh, o underscore the underscore crab. O underscore that underscore crab. You'd think I'd know this by now. Scott, as always, uh, pleasure having you on. Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> Okay, that's about the most half-assed that section I have ever done. But if I'm honest with you, I'm having a hard time concentrating on the specific elements of this match. It just feels like end times. This this match feels like a moment we will remember not because of anything specific that happened on the pitch, other than City looking really good, but more because of where it leaves us as a club. And that may feel like hyperbole, but I I don't think it's that crazy. Just the image of Arson with his head in his hands in front of 5,000 fans as the game drew to a close against the incumbent champions with us looking the furthest we've ever looked from the top of the table, getting ripped apart by the kind of football we used to be exponents of. It's all a bit depressing. And one of the things that came out following the game, Paul, is this comment that the players had a meeting, I think before the Carabao Cup game, if I'm remembering the article correctly. Basically where one of the players who was not named was nearly in tears at the state of the club and the direction of the club, and the players all seem to agree they just needed more help, that they're not getting enough help. I heard Coaching. Philippe, coaching, yeah, and I heard Philippe Eau Claire say that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang had been interviewed by some French uh, media outlet and had said, essentially, there are some players who just have resignation right now. They seem resigned uh, and not the one person who probably needs to resign. So in terms of hearing all that, I know a lot of it's confirmation bias when it comes to what we're talking about. But do you think that there is any way that the manager can resurrect this situation with the Milan tie coming up? I mean, the the league is gone and it doesn't really matter. So it's just down to the Europa League now. Can he find a way to get them on side for this?
2: Can he? Well, everything's possible. It's just so fragile, right? Uh, in this game in that we just played, either the last two City games, the Spurs game, obviously what we needed to do was score first. And we've done that in the past. We've done it against Chelsea. We've done it against Spurs. We've done it, uh, we did it against City and it didn't actually pay off last season. I I remind you, Danny
1: Welbeck will be our striker for the Milan time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it just puts us in this tough situation where if we don't get the first goal and at the moment we haven't scored for quite some time, Elliot, can you hold just a second? I can,
1: in fact. Yeah. And and as you do that, the one thing I will point out is that, you know, I, I think the Milan tie is an opportunity to turn it around. And I'm glad that we have it because the one thing that people will point to is this manager who supposedly lost the team just won the FA Cup last season and he's won these cups. When you are 8 million points off first and probably even out of range of top four, it is very hard to get up for a league game when you're a a player that wants to feel you're at the top of the game. But that's where I think the Cups can offer a respite. And I realize we got battered by City in the Cup final, but it was still a Cup final. The players may be able to rouse themselves for the Europa League simply because there is something to play for. There is the chance to claw their way back into the Champions League. There is the chance to still have something worth fighting for this season. So is that really it, Paul? Is it the fact that, the Europa League still offers meaning for the season might be enough to get the players to put in the effort and the performance that they probably can't rouse themselves for in the league.
2: You would hope, but really, uh, I mean, uh, I'm normally Mr. See away through. It's just so hard at the moment. I mean, the, the confidence that has been lost in the league and will continue to be lost Uh, as we go through meaningless fixtures where even the occasional time we play well, you know, you'll walk off the field thinking what could have been. And the number of times we'll just play poorly and teams will have a go at us knowing we're fragile. I think that's going to transfer into the Europa League. And the funk from the... uh, you know, if we thought it was tough last year with the, the manager's position being unclear, I mean, they've just, they can't go through it again. They can't, the manager can't say last year that his position, the uncertainty over his position, kind of cost us the outcome of the season, all saved by the FA Cup. Um, I, I just don't, this is a deeper funk than last year mm-hmm. and it's going down. Yeah. And sorry to be depressing. I just don't see. I mean, look, you're
1: not going to get an argument for me on that. But, I mean, realistically, Milan are on a hell of a run since Cattuso came in. They're in really good form. We cannot. Wins and draws
2: and almost all wins.
1: We can't afford. Well, they just beat Roma. We cannot afford to go to Milan and have the tie be over before we come back to the Emirates. Can you see this team at least battling to stay in the tie after that first leg? Uh,
2: Italian clubs are quite. A, they're evil and B, they're very technical and you know, if you haven't got your, your rows all lined up um, I suspect we're going to have a tough time in Milan and uh, like you said, it, there's not going to be much confidence in our attacking line. We haven't scored since God knows when Um, so I, I mean uh, I always get optimistic just before the game starts but man, uh, I don't see it. I think we're we're in a whole world of hurt. And I wish they'd all get together and make make a decision and make a decision on the manager's future and announce it. And if and if that decision is hey, Arson is has decided it's time. He's going in the summer or you know, I don't think they'll have a replacement manager for him lined up and I'm not sure that's the way we would go. I think we'd prefer to have a lap of honour for the rest of the season, and the players would respond to that certainty. Uh, it Doesn't fix the the game plan and the tactics and the approach, but it gives some certainty and a and an end result and a an exit strategy for the manager. Um, I, I just think the Europa League's gonna can't help but get uh, the bleed over from the the league is going to bleed over into the Europa League. I don't think you can keep it separate.
1: And I mean it tells you where the rod is because we are the biggest club in that competition. I mean Atletico Madrid yeah. or Athletic Ma- Atletico Madrid, yeah, that's the one. They more recently have been the better club, but we are the biggest club in the competition, I think you'd have to say, and we certainly should be right there as a favorite or co-favorite with anyone. And yeah. we're not. And it no. we're not we're talking about not even being able to get out of the round of 16 now you could argue actually AC Milan is a bigger club than Arsenal i don't know that that's the case anymore but the point is for us to not feel that we can get past the round of 16 is just a sign of how how much the rot has set in so the final thoughts here have to be about the manager and i guess the question first is can you see any scenario where he is not the manager before the end of the season where he's removed yes. before the end of the season you can what would that scenario have to be
2: uh th- I think if he's looking at the players and what he's seeing back from them are players who are not responding. Um, I think that for him and for the board could well be a situation he's never had to deal with and he does not want to go through the empty exercise. I mean, you know, uh, Arson, his whole... Uh, strength is the relationship he has with the team and you can't you know you can't make love to a woman who's left the marriage for four months well you can't actually anyway so
1: i have so many um, comments I'm i'm biting through my tongue right now
2: <laughs> yeah well in a sense don't the manager and the team have to make love for the next four months and if they can't look in each other's eyes you know well, the, the I mean, magic the laws. Right so. now, it
1: reminds me a lot of the love making, which is it's over pretty quick, and there's a lot of crying afterwards. So, yeah, I mean that yeah. that, that kind of love making is happening. I look. So then the question is, you you think he could I, go before the end of I the season? Do. Fine. I guess my argument would be, if we lose to Milan and we crash uh, crash out crash out of the Europa League, there isn't a benefit to getting rid of him before the end of the season because the season is worthless at that point. So I'm not really sure what a caretaker manager does for you other than guide you to the same sixth place that Arsene Wenger is going to guide you to. And at that point, I'm not sure there's any real benefit unless you're going to bring in the guy who'll be the manager next year now, and I don't think they would do that. But that is the question. Do you see any scenario where he is still the manager next season?
2: Uh... I mean, obviously, you can come up with one. I, I don't feel it. I, he I think I, he
1: won't retire. See, that's the thing. So the question is, do you think they'll sack him?
2: I think he no. I think he would retire.
1: You think when Under the season's certain- over and he looks at what went wrong, he says, "You know what? I've got a bombing now for the summer. I could spend a little money. I'm sure I could get it right." He's going to back himself to get it right. These guys have huge egos, and I don't just mean Arsene. All of these guys, he's scared of retirement. You don't think he could talk himself into the idea that that he's got it in him to fix it.
2: I don't think he could ignore those 4 months. I think the that that's why I think it's as likely he would go now as in the summer. Uh because and I don't mean right now. I mean uh within say we go out of the Europa League another few weeks and it's just fucking miserable and nobody can look anybody in the eye. Um he may just uh, I I see it as likely that he'll come to the conclusion he can see what the rest of us can see and he's tried everything he can try as opposed to waiting till the summer. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of 50 50. I think it's more likely he goes now or in the summer than he stays till next year. Cause I just don't see a way forward. I mean, it, it would be, I think it would be sh- shocking and incredibly disappointing beyond even my threshold for the manager and the board to go through one more year of this. I mean, I just...
1: Well, the problem is, you know, Paul, we're not going to win an FA Cup, obviously. We're not going to win a Carabao Cup. We're not going to win the league. We're not going to come fourth. And if we don't win the Europa League, there really is no goodwill going into next season. So the first bad result You'll be back in whatever depths of misery you're in this season, right? I mean, it, yeah. it, it takes and, and one it's bad not the result same. to be It'll here be again. It'll be worse, right?
2: the The it can never get worse. It is getting worse. You know, the, G, February this year is a lot worse than February last year.
1: Well, here's the other and, point, right?
2: And I, I mean, think it's accelerating.
1: Let me ask you. I mean, is it possible for a club like Arsenal to plummet so much, to perform so poorly, to have such unhappy fans and half-empty stadiums and disaffected players? that you do risk going down the tiers of the league. I mean, there's a lot of TV money in the Premier League right now, and I I realize we have tremendous financial might. But there is a danger with apathy and the deterioration of the reputation of the club for Arsenal not to be looked at, and maybe this is already happening, but not to be looked at at the top table of of the elite teams in Europe. And the the knock-on effect from sticking with Arsene Wenger even another season is that you really create a situation where you have to spend a long time in this sort of tier above the the mediocre worst of the league, but below the best.
2: Yeah, I don't think the club can afford a year and a quarter uh, of hurting our squad building and our squad quality and a year and a quarter more of age. And think of the salaries, right, of basically – trying to put Obama Yang and uh, you're just paying Ozil who knows what the money is but 300 something K right Yeah,
1: 350 a week to, to basically tread water in the Premier League
2: yeah to a point where he's then basically reaching the the downside of his aging curve and now do you build around him or do you build for the it, it's fucking suicide if you don't you don't sign up Ozil you don't sign up a bang, uh, Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan and not build a plan for them the summer and if they really think that they i mean the answer is already in those players aren't hearing anything from wenger that makes them believe there's a way of playing under him or winning for him or that he can even kind of tread water against the rest of the league the the result is in everybody knows it do you it's think a with, flush.
1: with a good manager, and I hate to say good like Arsene's bad, but I, we're getting there. Look,
2: do you think with a... He was if, a we, great manager. He was a great but, manager.
1: And he's not right now. But with a, with a let's say we appoint a phenomenal manager in the summer but make no signings whatsoever. The squad is the exact same. What do you think the ceiling for this squad would be with a manager that these players really responded to with a contemporary tactical approach that was effective?
2: I think because of the flaws in the squad, um our average still isn't good enough to get us in the top four
1: so you so you think without any additions even the best of managers being brought in couldn't put us back in the top four that the squad needs too many changes to to be a top four squad again
2: yeah there's too many holes in the side of the boat too many on you know probably a third of the team needs to get fixed i mean kishelny will be a year older I love him.
1: Well, it's scary because, you know, you saying that scares me in this respect. We probably have one or two seasons where we can expect Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang to be at whatever best they have left. Yep. So you look at all this business, and we've made a lot of win-now business for a team that doesn't look like it's prepared to win now, and that means that whoever we appoint is going to be under immense pressure in a way because you could say, well, no, he won't because he's taking over from such a low nadir, from such a low ebb, but... He's got aging players who really don't have yeah. any sell-on value and that's what he's going to be working with. So he doesn't have he doesn't have the luxury of building for a success 3 years down the road cuz 3 years down the road the squad'll turn over again.
2: Yeah, no they can't. The the only good news is uh they'd have to be fucking nuts not to make a decision quickly and build a plan and move forward. Well, Otherwise the whole thing falls apart and on Frighteningly high wages will be frozen for years. That, they, that's
1: the problem. That's really the problem. We put ourselves in a situation with this squad where we've got older players on big wages. We are locked into this strategy. And so, do you let Arsene Banger continue with it because we see where that's nope. taken it? Yeah, I mean, it's.
2: So, it's the problem, but it might be the problem that means if they weren't sure, they just have to. They say, uh, Ivan's got to be itching. Sven. Raoul. i mean what the, what the fuck are they there for if it's not to move the club forward so i think they'll push like crazy for a plan that starts at least on uh, on june 1st uh to move forward with a coach that works for sven raul uh, and ivan mm-hmm. and and to take advantage of the players we have got in and to reshape the squad i mean there are moves they can make. I mean, I li- as I said before, we all kind of hook on to somebody within the club. I'm I'm hooking on to Sven because I've seen a photo of him. And apparently he was quite good at BVB. And I pray he's got his Rolodex going back yeah. two decades full of names, full of young guys that BVB weren't interested in because they already had players in those spots or they he'd kind of fall now with them. He's got to have fucking ideas up the wazoo. Yes, we might sell Bellerin for 45 or 50 million. Yeah, he's gone. But to give Sven the money to buy the two or three players that are a little bit off the radar. Buy me a new
1: midfield and I'll forgive everything. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, he's
2: got to know who he wants for those spots. He's just got to have a manager whose vision he can fill in the gaps for. Yeah. And that's. That's what's going to hold everything up. They just can't wait. They have to have a plan, and it has to be now, and it has to be activated shortly or first thing in the summer, and they'll already be working on it now.
1: You know what I think is the biggest sign of how bad things have gotten is they blew their wad in January to try to restore some goodwill. Okay, we had to get rid of Alexis, so we go out and we get Aubameyang, we swap him for Mkhitaryan, and we re-sign Ozil. That's every bullet they had in their gun, and before February was over we were in a lower yep. spot than we were at the beginning of January. So yep. it shows you how bad the rod is. This is a zombie season. I mean, we're going to go into next summer. The World Cup will end and we'll be like, oh, yeah, we have Aubameyang. I totally forgot about that. Or Lacazette. Wow, yeah. We have two great yeah. strikers. I totally forgot. And we have the best number 10 in the world. And could Mesut Ozil break the assist record next season? And could Mkhitaryan, uh, uh Lacazette and Obamian combined for 50 goals in the league? They could. Could Mkhitaryan be a 15-goal, 10-assist guy? He absolutely could, And, and we could be a really good team. There is talent there. There's some things that are broken, the midfield. We've gone over it, the way we defend. But with another manager, I'm a little, oddly, more bullish than you are. It just feels like such a zombie season. And to have a player like Obamiang, for example, at our club playing basically 10 friendlies the rest of the way is really depressing. So, other than that, Mr. Yeah. Lincoln or Mrs. Lincoln, what did you think of the play? Uh, let's, let's leave it there. There's, this is not a good time to be trying to dissect anything because everything is so big and overwhelming. I'm curious to see what happens against Brighton. I'm curious to see if he rotates and rests with an eye towards Milan, hopefully. Hopefully, this manager is at least smart enough to realize none of us care about the Brighton game, that he can rotate for Milan, that we would be fine with that. What I worry is he will feel so pressured to get a result and turn things around that he will go full strength for Brighton, and there's no need. Um, but we'll see. We'll find out. So, Paul's on Twitter. at Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. I'm on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. You can block me there. Please do. Sorry, it's uh, all doom and gloom right now, but that's kind of where we're at. And the whole crew will hopefully be back to preview Milan to talk about Brighton and Cover what I'm sure will be the next players-only meeting, where they threw darts at pictures of Arsene Wenger's face or something. Uh, Give us a five-star review, write nasty things about the comments, and we'll be be back after Arsenal 10, Brighton nil.